0: Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzer, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who wanna know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Bree Anderson, and we're gonna talk about how to build a data-driven marketing strategy. Yes, we're gonna talk about analytics. Yes, we're gonna talk about data. We're gonna talk about how to track and make important strategy decisions, and I think you're absolutely gonna love it. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, and if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss out on any of our future content, because we've got some amazing guests coming your way. I've got a question for you. Did your business transition to e-commerce sales during the pandemic? Are you looking for an easier way to scale your e-commerce sales? If so, you should explore the Wix e-commerce platform. It's an omni-channel solution that manages all of your offline and online customer transactions in a single powerful dashboard. Now all your customer data, sales inventory, delivery and fulfillment, and marketing are powered by a single platform, the Wix e-commerce platform. From a single dashboard, you can manage your CRM, email marketing, SMS marketing, live chat, Automation, all customer communications, and more. Plus, Facebook Ads by Wix leverages artificial intelligence to learn about your audience and then run and optimize your Instagram and Facebook ads for you. With this one feature alone, Wix e commerce customers average a 1000% return on ad spend, and 40% have doubled their sales. Join more than 700,000 active Wix e-commerce stores. Here's your next step. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce and get started creating your store. Again, Wix.com slash e-commerce. You support this podcast by checking out our sponsors. Hey, I've got a quick question for you. Do you lack the confidence to run Facebook and Instagram ads for your business? Do you feel like you're missing out on an enormous pool of future customers? Are you ready to quit using ads because you just don't know why they're not working? Here's the solution. You need a guide. Someone who can help you predictably increase your revenue with Facebook and Instagram ads. What if you could tap the insights of a major influencer? someone who's been on this show three times to receive guidance that really works. She's a regular on our weekly talk show. She's been all over our YouTube channel and she's spoken on all of our stages. Who is this expert? It's Allie Bloyd. Her specialty is helping small business marketers increase their sales with Facebook and Instagram ads. With her 12-month mentorship program, she'll show you how to develop a proven system so you can predictively increase your revenue. You get four to six hours live with Allie Bloyd every week. This is not just pre-recorded videos. This is live mentorship. Throw away all your other courses and coaches. Stop struggling. Join Marketing Mastery with Allie Bloyd, the easy decision for small business marketers. Go to alliebloyd.com SME and apply today. Discover how to use paid acquisition with confidence and grow your business predictively. Again, visit Alibloyd.com SME. You support this show by checking out our sponsors. And now for this week's interview with Brie Anderson. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Brie Anderson. If you don't know who Brie is, you need to know who she is. She's a data-driven marketing strategist and founder of Beast Analytics, a consultancy for marketers looking to improve their ROI with data. She's also hosted the Analytics Friday live show, covering, you guessed it, analytics. Welcome to the show, Brie.
1: Hey, thanks so much. I wonder how many times we're going to say analytics during this.
0: I think it's going to be a lot. We're thankful it's not a drinking game, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So today, Brie and I are going to explore using data to inform your marketing strategy. But before we do, I'd love to hear your story, Brie. How did you get into social marketing? Start wherever you want to start.
1: So, I think it all starts in a basement somewhere. I think everyone can kind of relate to that.
0: All good things start in a basement <laughs> somewhere. <right?
1: laughs> yeah, everything starts in a basement. So, I went to a lot of punk shows when I was in high school. And at that time, we were all using MySpace. MySpace, as we all know, just died and everybody moved to Facebook. But Facebook wasn't really friendly for bands. And so, I was like, y'all just need websites. And I learned coding in. 10th grade sophomore year of high school. And I was like, I can make you really bad websites. And so I did that. And then eventually that turned into also, okay, well now we have to get people to the website. Social media was the easiest way to do that. Then just building communities around my friends' bands. And then eventually not just friends' bands, other people's bands.
0: How far back are we talking? Just give us some time. Like what year do you think this would have been?
1: Yeah. So that started in 2010. Okay. In 20, probably 12. It was the first time I actually got like, quote unquote, hired by someone to do it, Mm. to build communities essentially around musicians and build a community that would come back and listen to them and go to their shows.
0: Which platform were you using to build those communities back then?
1: So Facebook was really big at that time. Record labels were like, oh, you only have 5,000, likes on your fan page. You know, We were all very stuck on those vanity metrics at the time. I always say that being a Facebook marketer during that time was really easy because you only had about 10 different metrics you had to report on because that's what Facebook gave you. But from there, I ended up going into agency life and got into paid social. And then from paid social, went to paid Google ads and that turned into SEO. And so... One of my my favorite stories, though, is the first time I ran a Google ad. At that time, I was like 19, right? And they gave me $1,000 to run a Google campaign. And I thought it was the most money in the world because I'm 19.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So I was like, I have to track every single penny because I'm not going to lose a cent of this. And was actually able to, I, I taught myself uh, Google Analytics and UTM tracking and all of that, which we'll get into, I'm sure. And was able to track that we actually made $3,000 on those Google ads. And from there, I was just hooked. I was like, all data, all day, baby, let's do it.
0: Very cool. So you were working for an agency when you did that, right? Yep. So bring us more of the story. Like, obviously, you're not working for an agency anymore that I'm aware of, right? So tell us what happened after that.
1: Right. So I I was at the agency for about two and a half years and I actually started at that agency because I interned for them my sophomore year of college. And, you know, I learned a lot more in that six week internship than I did at my four years at college. Wow. Yeah. And so I actually did four or five internships while I was in college too. Like I just really like to learn. And so I left. And when I left the agency, it was actually to work with a local tech college that wanted to bring hands-on training to digital marketers, the next generation of digital marketers. So I helped them kind of create that program and it's still running here.
0: What were you teaching them just out of curiosity?
1: Yeah. So... It was a two-year, it's a certification program. Uh, You get an associates as well. But basically, we were kind of just hitting on the fundamentals of digital marketing. So there was a strategy course, an analytics course, which I taught both of those. Imagine that. An SEO course, basic digital editing, social media, and video. And so the idea was that we were going to give them like the ground floor, to be able to go out into the world and say, okay, I actually really liked this part of digital marketing. I understand how it goes into everything else, but I really want to focus on social media, right? So they knew going into the real world, what they wanted to focus on.
0: So you were about to say something about COVID. You said the program was going on or something, and then you said something about COVID.
1: Yeah. So the program is, is still going on, but during COVID for, you know, what was going on and For my family's sake, I actually stepped down from, because I was the director of that program and taught classes and all of that, but I actually stepped down from that position and decided to go out on my own. It kind of like everything lined up where it made sense. So now I have my own consultancy and I work with clients one-on-one to help them increase their return on
0: investment. Very, very cool. So that brings us kind of up to the present, but do tell us about this show that you do, this Analytics Friday show. Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so every Friday, this kind of started on a whim. One Friday, I was just like, hey, if I walk around or like just, you know, fiddle around in Google Analytics and kind of show you guys how I go through it, would anybody be interested in that? And I had like 15 people on Twitter say that they were interested. So I said, okay, cool. And I just streamed myself going through Google Analytics and showing, you know, these are the views that I really like. These are the metrics that I look at. And then people would ask for other platforms. So we've done Facebook ads, we've done Facebook page insights, we've done Twitter analytics, LinkedIn analytics. And so every week, it's something a little bit different. Uh, We've even started to go into different processes. So, you know, I analyze search engine result pages when consulting on SEO. And so what does that process look like? What are we looking at here? Sometimes we pick an actual website and give somebody suggestions. So yeah, but it's really just like 30 minutes to an hour of me playing around and showing people how I do stuff.
0: Which platform are you using or are you broadcasting that the more than one platform?
1: Yeah. So it goes Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. So all of them live on my YouTube channel.
0: Cool. And tell everybody where to find that channel.
1: It's just Brie E. Anderson.
0: B R I E.
1: So if you Google Brie E. Anderson or you go to YouTube and type in Brie E. Anderson, that's the channel.
0: Sweet. Okay. Well, that's a perfect setup. And thank you for sharing that story. So, my question for you is for everyone listening right now who is not as much of a data nerd as maybe you and I are, why is it important? to developing their strategy? Like, what do you want to say to those people maybe who say, "Uh, I'm not so sure about data. I feel like I just know what to do.
1: (laughs) Right. So everybody loves an informed decision, right? Like, That sounds like a good idea. I was talking to my wife about this the other day, and she said, Well, imagine if you were going to make a stoplight. So, there's a lot of construction going on outside of my neighborhood, right? And they have the traffic counters down on the road so that they can see how many cars cross each intersection. And the reason they do that is so that they can time the stoplights correctly, right? So that you're not sitting at a stoplight that's red for no reason. They can kind of guess, like, each car is going to take about three seconds to get across the intersection, yada, yada, yada. Well, if they didn't collect that data, we would be stuck at stoplights a lot longer or we wouldn't have enough time to get through. And it's kind of the same thing with your digital marketing strategies. If you don't have the data, you're kind of just guessing and there's a good chance that you have leaks in your funnels, that you're missing a big opportunity somewhere and you kind of just are, tunnel vision, right? You, you have these blinders on. When you use data, you, you take the blinders off and you're able to see the entire situation that you're working with. Does that make sense?
0: Totally. And, you know, for the longest time, I was one of those marketers and I've been in marketing for a long time, longer than I care to admit, <laughs> but I was one of those marketers that just said, I know who our customers are and I know what makes them tick. And that's partly true, but The difference is, what about everybody who's not yet a customer, right? What about every visitor to your website? What about every prospect? Like, how do you know whether or not your message is truly connecting with them? How do you know that you're not leaving opportunity off the table? How do you know that there's not little tweaks that you can make to increase your conversion? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know? And it wasn't really until my eyes were open to see what data can tell you, and it can't tell you everything, but it can definitely tell you a story so you can make more intelligent decisions. Don't you agree?
1: Absolutely. Well, and you think too, like the first thing. So I actually, when I got my degree, it was in social media marketing. And so this was, I graduated in 2017. Yes, I'm, I'm very young, but so I, I graduated in 2017. But when I first started studying social media, people were like, what is the value of this to business? And that's what everybody is going to ask you about any strategy. If you're reporting to someone, they want to know what is the value that you're bringing. Right. And that's where data comes in. And The more data that you're collecting, you're able to report on, obviously, but the big behemoth here is once you can connect it to dollars and almost everything can be connected to dollars. And so that's why I think data is so important because Will Reynolds, he's a SEO speaker and he always says, you want to be able to talk like a CEO and CEOs talk about dollars. So that's one of the best things about using data as well.
0: I love that because so many marketers listening right now are working for someone else and if they can prove to their boss, right? Or mm-hmm. they can prove to their clients that the work that they're doing actually matters with data, they've got job security, right? And Absolutely. Over the person that can't prove it, for sure, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, so let's transition a little bit. There's a lot of data out there and, you know, what should we be looking at? What's the stuff? Where do we start?
1: So the very first thing you need to ask yourself before you start You know, digging into data and trying to collect all the data that you possibly can, which, you know, for someone like me, I'm like, yes, I want all the numbers. But the best way to get started is to ask yourself, like, okay, what are our goals? A good place to start is with the business goals, right? So not everybody's goal is to sell a million dollars a year. Not everybody's goal is to, you know, sell t-shirts or whatever that might be for a nonprofit. It might be, we need to find volunteers or we need to get donations. Right. So the first thing you need to ask yourself is what is the business goal and how does that relate to what we're doing here in marketing? And that's where you need to start with your tracking.
0: Well, let's talk about what some of the big goals are for a lot of your customers and clients. Like what are the types of things that are their goals? I mean, you mentioned like finding volunteers, but what are some others that come off the top of your head?
1: Right. So generally speaking, I mean, the two big ones that we see are e-commerce goals, which are things like, you know, checkout and revenue. Right. Those are the things people are looking at. But then you have like form fills. A lot of people do lead captures on their website. So that might be one. Uh, phone calls. So if you have a helpline, for instance, we're talking nonprofits, uh, phone calls to a helpline, that might be something that you need to track. Uh, and those are really the three big ones that we see. Uh, another one, I guess, would be like directions, getting directions to a brick and mortar location. Um, but even online checkout for delivery, right? For if you're a restaurant, people calling in and placing orders, all of these things are, are trackable which is really nice. That's what's nice about being in the 21st century.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you kind of got a little deeper there because most people are just going to say we want more sales. I mean, that's ultimately what the goal is, right? But sometimes there's some things like you just talked about, like form fills or lead generation, right? That leads to a sale, right? Because depending on what you're selling, Sometimes it's a complex sale and you need someone to fill out a form in order to ultimately become a prospect and then be followed up with automation or with a salesperson, right? So even though the goal is ultimately maybe turning them into a customer, there's some trackable actions that maybe we need to drill down on, which I think is really cool, which probably leads right into your next thing, right? So what's the goal? I mean, the goal truly probably is sales and leads, right? Right but do we already kind of answer the next part of the equation here? What's the next thing we should be looking at other than goal?
1: So you have an objective or a goal, right? When you're going into marketing and you're putting efforts into marketing, but there are other things that can tell you if you're on the right track and we call those key performance indicators, right? So for instance, e-commerce is probably the easiest example because everybody's familiar with it. Right. So think about Amazon. When you go to Amazon, if you search for a specific product, if, if, the goal is to push that product. A search for that product tells you that you're on the right track, right? So if Amazon's goal is to sell a thousand toothbrushes, which I'm sure they do in like 60 seconds, <laughs> right? Um, then a search for a toothbrush is something that they should probably track because it tells them that they're on you know, the path to selling a thousand toothbrushes. The next thing would be a product view, right? So if people open up a product that is a toothbrush and they they're looking through that product. That's something else they should track. They should track when toothbrushes are added to the cart and then they should track when the checkout process starts and then when it's confirmed, right? All of those things tell you whether you're on the right track to selling a toothbrush. Now obviously, you know, a toothbrush is something that doesn't cost that much money. People know, hey, I need a toothbrush. They're going to need it quick. They're going to make that decision in a snap. But, like you said, you know, let's talk about I, I worked with a client that sold private jets. Nobody's making that decision in the matter of minutes, right? Pro- well, at least probably not. That sales process is about 18 months, usually speaking. And so we have to track a lot. More, you know, smaller KPIs. We have a lot of what we call micro conversions. So, your macro conversion, the big conversion we're going for is selling a jet. There are a lot of micro conversions that come before that. So, we would also be tracking things like form fills, things like phone calls with sales, people coming to visit the location. All of that generally starts to get tracked in like a CRM or something of that nature. But there's a lot of data. So you kind of always have to work backwards. So I say, okay, what's the goal? How do we know we're on track with the goal? And those are also the things that we need to to be tracking. If that makes sense.
0: Totally. So I think in order to determine the, the key performance indicators, you need to um, kind of reverse engineer the path that people go down when they ultimately become a customer, right? So we sell, for example, a conference called Social Media Marketing World. And I would imagine one of the first KPIs would be visits to the sales page, Right. And then the next one might be like them clicking certain pages, like looking at the agenda, right? Or hitting the tickets page, right? And then I would imagine the next one might be adding the product or beginning the checkout process, right? And then ultimately buying the product. But then there's stuff after that, like booking their hotel, right? Which we also work with, right? So I would imagine all those things in this particular case, because it's kind of a complex sale. And sometimes they don't make the purchase on the first Thing. So we also have this convince the boss page, right? So if they hit the convince the boss page, that's also potentially KPI, right? Because they have to send an email to their boss to say, can you authorize budget for this thing? I mean, I don't know. I'm just making this stuff up on the fly, but is this accurate?
1: Yeah. And, you know, you might have on the Convince the Boss page an email template that they can use and you have it as a downloadable. So if they're downloading that, that's a KPI as well. It tells you that they're interested. So it's essentially you're tracking every part of the funnel. And we'll get into this here in a minute. I think this is where we're going next. But you're tracking every part of the funnel because you want to see where the leaks are. So... We see people come to the sales page and then we see them go to the ticket options pages, but then they leave, right? You said this is a complex sell. They might not make that decision on the first go round. So then they leave. Well, we need to be able to know when they come back, how long has it been since they came back? Where did they come from the second time? And how are the interactions with the website different the second time?
0: Now, before we move on to my next question, I'm sure some people are like, what tech do we use to do all this? I think I know the answer, but I want to hear from your perspective. What is the underlying technology that allows us to do all this?
1: So we're talking all about conversions and things that happen on your website and the number one tool for that to use is Google Analytics. And the reason I say that, yes, there are a ton of other analytics platforms. The reason that I urge people to use Google Analytics is because one, it's free. So there's no reason that you couldn't use it. And two, because it's free, there are so many resources out there. You can YouTube how to do just about anything and get a video for it. So it's really beginner friendly. So I'm always going to be referring people to Google Analytics for that. Now, if you're doing lead captures on Facebook, then you know you're going to be relying heavily on Facebook Analytics. So there are a lot of different tools you can use there.
0: I want to ask this question. I'm, I'm going to get a little technical here for our, yeah. our audience, but not for you, Bree. There's a lot of ad blockers out there that are stopping Google Analytics from tracking things. And I want your take on this, right? You know, it's not going to be 100%. Right. It's going to be a portion. It's a story. So talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So actually all of Google's reporting pretty much since 2012-ish, I could be wrong about that, but it's all been estimated, especially if you have a site that gets a lot of traffic. Like I'm sure you guys see tons and tons of page views, right? Yeah they're not going to report on all of that data usually. So in the top right corner, there's usually like a little green icon. And when you click on it, it tells you, hey, we're reporting based off 79% of your traffic or we're reporting based off of, you know, hopefully it's above 70% of traffic. And so all of it's always been estimation. So the fact that yes, there are a lot of ad blockers and, and things of that nature now, We've always been working off of estimations. And the reality of it is, too, when people come to your website, you know, this is going to get a little bit technical, but, but when you go into Google Analytics and you look at acquisition, all traffic source medium, which is where most people are going to go to see where their traffic is coming from, you see a lot of traffic that comes from direct slash none. And when it says that, it's just saying, hey, this person came from an untrackable source.
0: Or just type the darn thing into the browser.
1: Or it was typed in or like somebody had it as a bookmark or something of that nature. But if it was untrackable, it's usually going to go into that direct none as well. And the easiest way that I've seen to kind of start to better understand direct none traffic is to add a secondary source of landing page. And so if you use UTMs on your landing page, that'll be pulled into source medium. Or if you use specific pages for specific types of marketing, then you can kind of understand where that direct non-traffic comes from. There is a lot of mystery behind it, but like I said, the majority of the time we've been working from estimations anyways.
0: Yeah, and, and I've got a couple thoughts to add on this too, because you know we are Google Analytics geeks over here at Social Media Examiner, at least I am, and some of the people in my company. There's a lot of cool tools that integrate with it. Like you can integrate your e-commerce stuff into it so you can get a full, accurate perspective of the transactions that come through. But because sometimes Google Analytics isn't going to fire because it's going to be blocked by a browser. So, for example, if you're using like the Brave browser or you're using Safari and you have some of these things turned on, it's full stop not going to track it. Right. But here's how I look at it. It's telling you a story you didn't know otherwise. Right. And you can just still make intelligent decisions, just like when you survey some of your customers. And not every single person takes the survey. You have enough data to make intelligent decisions, right? And that's exactly what's going on with Google Analytics. You're never going to have 100% of your traffic be able to be tracked, but it's enough to make intelligent marketing decisions. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another e-commerce tool that you might be interested in, this is kind of a sidebar, would be like a triple whale. So they do something very similar to like WooCommerce, but they pull in all the metrics. So let's say you're doing Facebook ads and you're doing Amazon ads and all that, they pull everything into a singular dashboard. So if you want to get like more granular with your data, you know, you start combining different data sources and and things of that nature.
0: That's called triple whale. Huh. Never heard of it. Yeah.
1: Triple whale. Yeah. So that's for e-commerce. And then obviously, you know, if you want to build your own stuff out, you can use like a Google data studio with BigQuery or there are so many different ways to do that. But yeah, like you said, I, I think you put it very well that, you know, Google analytics is telling you a story that you didn't know otherwise. And so you know, it'd be a little wild not to use it, especially if it's the only tool you have. Like I said, I really, really encourage at least, you know, having Google Analytics. It's really easy for beginners to get started with. There's a whole certification for it and you can find anything.
0: Yeah. And don't think it's just for beginners, right? I mean, because like... Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. (laughs)
0: It is extremely advanced. Like it's almost impossible. It's like flying an airplane. Well, I'm glad we went down the little rabbit trail for uh, just for a few minutes here, because I know some people are probably like concerned about whether or not, you know, they have the whole story. And I think it's important to acknowledge you don't need the whole story. You just need enough of the story. Right. So let's say we know what we want to track. You know, we've talked about, for example, with the toothbrush, you know, product view, add to cart, started checkout process, checkout confirmed. So what do we do with this data that we're probably getting from Google Analytics? Like, how does it inform our strategy?
1: Right. So. I know this is the social media marketing podcast and something that I like to tell people, especially social media marketers, because we generally do have a hard time, you know, proving, quote unquote, what the value of, for instance, a tweet is. Mm -hmm. But we have to remember that social media is part of a bigger picture. That's also why I like Google Analytics, because it can show you the bigger picture. So once we have all of our tracking set up, right? So I I already talked about one of my favorite views in Google Analytics, which is acquisition, source, medium, all traffic. And the reason I like that view is because it will tell you where all of your users are coming from on the internet, more or less. So it'll tell you, hey, this is organic traffic from Google. This is referral traffic from Facebook or referral traffic from Twitter. You know, maybe it's paid traffic from Facebook or paid traffic from Google, right? So you get all this information. And if you're tracking the right things, so you have all of your goals set up, you're able to break things down by like, okay, which of these sources are making us the most money. And you might find that Facebook is actually making more money than Twitter. And you kind of have to think of it as like a soundboard. You know, those guys that work on the soundboard and they're kind of just moving (laughs) all of these little pegs all the time. So that it's like that, like you're kind of the person behind that goes, okay, well, we're going to ramp that up a little bit and see if we can make even more here or we're going to slow this down because we're not seeing. So maybe we need to regroup. So at Beast, we put tactics into three different categories, right? We talk about things that we need to start. So maybe something that we haven't even turned on yet, we're seeing that there are conversions trickling in. So maybe Amazon didn't realize that they have an affiliate that's sending everybody to the toothbrush page, right? So maybe that's something that we tap into and start really working with that affiliate or start finding other affiliates, right? That we can work with.
0: Yeah. And since we're not Amazon, we're not billion dollar company, it could be, hey, you sell toothbrushes and you realize that this one blog was writing articles about your toothbrush. You didn't even know who they were. Right. And they're driving all this traffic that's leading to sales. And you're like, wow. Right. I mean, that's like probably a more down to earth example. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So here's a better down to earth example. So I worked with a company. It was a SaaS company. Right. And it was a startup. We're tracking free signups. Well, when we went into the signups, we saw that like 60% of our signups came or free signups were coming from a blog that somebody wrote that like we had never even had any sort of contact with. They just found the product and wrote about it. So what an awesome opportunity to tap into that relationship and maybe find other bloggers that are doing, you know, similar situation.
0: By the way, I love this because... So much of the time we as marketers only think about the activities that we are doing as marketers, right? We only think about the fact that we're posting on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and dot, dot, dot and Instagram. But we don't think about the fact that there are other people out there that are probably doing things like maybe customers that we didn't even realize, right? And that opens up new opportunities because that's one thing all marketers are looking for. They're looking for new things because the old things aren't working as much anymore.
1: (laughs) Right, right. That's kind of that start bucket. So things that, that we need to potentially put more effort into. Then we have another bucket, which is the scale bucket. And these are things that are working for us currently that we could put more effort into more of our attention and time into, or more money into, right? There are a lot of ways to invest in a strategy or a tactic. You know, we have our time and we have our money. Those are probably the two big ones. And so these might be things like, okay, we found, like I was saying earlier, that maybe Facebook is driving far more qualified leads. So we see that they're adding things to the cart. We see that they're initiating checkout or we see that they're going to the pricing page, something of that nature, than like Twitter. Maybe we see that Twitter is bringing people to the website, but those people aren't really sticking around, right? In that case, maybe we scale our investment on Facebook and really put everything we have into Facebook for the next 30 to 90 days and see what happens when we focus there. And, you know, we kind of keep Twitter going on the sideline because maybe you're still using it for brand awareness or something of that nature, but maybe there's more to get out of Facebook and it's time to scale those strategies.
0: Cool. I'd love to hear about the stop thing. And then I want to dig in on a couple of them a little bit deeper. So you said start something, you said scale something. And what was the last one again?
1: So the last one is stop things that we're just not seeing the return on. And it's important for me to note too, before we put a hard stop on something that there are multiple ways that you can attribute sales, right? So some people say that if it was the last thing people clicked on to get to your website, that's who should get the sale. But sometimes People, you know, they find you on Facebook and then they go to your website, but then they kind of want to check your credibility. So they go to Yelp or they go to maybe a Forbes article that mentions you and then they come back to your website. Well, all of those played a part in somebody coming back to your website and converting. So it is important that you look at those different attribution models so that you get the full picture.
0: Yeah. And for what it's worth, I would just love to dig in a little bit on this because assisted conversions is really what you're talking about, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So for folks that are following along, you go into Google Analytics, you go under conversions, and then you go under multi-channel funnels and you click on assisted conversions. And why don't you explain why this is so important? Because this is kind of a fun little dive here, but like explain what that can tell you, right?
1: Yeah. So I have a really good example for this. So I have a client that sells something on e-commerce. It's kind of a a bigger product, but they had a YouTube channel and they had, you know, some videos on there, probably 20 to 40 videos. And when we looked at, I mean, and they had put obviously time into those. I mean, you know, it takes a lot of time to produce a YouTube video and put it out. And so when we looked at just the regular view they had attributed maybe $700 to YouTube, which really was like one or two purchases of their product. And we're kind of like, dang, man, we put all this time and effort into making these YouTube videos and we're just not seeing the return. But when we went to that multi-funnel assisted conversions view, we could attribute over $10,000 in assisted conversions to YouTube. So all that tells me is people, maybe they find us on YouTube and they aren't ready to make a $300 purchase off of seeing one or two YouTube videos. So then they come and check us out on Instagram or they go and you know talk to a friend or whatever, and they come back to the website and make that purchase. So it's really, really important that you don't just make a split decision off of that regular view cuz in in Google it defaults to a last click attribution so you really have to go to that assisted conversion so that you can see how much value something is truly bringing so yeah it brought $700 directly but 700 plus 10,500 is a lot bigger number and we can kind of start to justify those YouTube videos a little bit more
0: yeah and just to give a quick example I'm looking right now where we're talking At organic search. Okay. So we get a lot of traffic and I can see that we have a number. I'm just going to say it's tens of thousands of dollars. That was last click attribution, meaning it was like directly tracked to them coming in from organic search, but we have an assisted conversion value that's four times higher. So what does that tell us? That tells us that they're not ready to buy necessarily the first time they come and they're coming back. Right. And they come back or it probably means they weren't ready to buy the first time. And what does that mean exactly? It means that it assisted in the conversion, but it wasn't the final thing that closed the nail in the coffin. Is that how you interpret it?
1: Yes, absolutely. And especially with those more complex, you know, conversions, yep. we see that a lot. So that's why it's really, really important to look at that view.
0: Cool. So we're talking about stop. So how do we decide what to stop?
1: So a basic formula of return on investment. Are you investing? a lot of time and money into a strategy and not seeing that return. And there are a lot of different ways that you can value your time and your money. So for instance, like if you're working on brand awareness, right? So sometimes startups are trying to get in front of venture capitalists or something of that nature. And The goal for a piece of content, for instance, let's say we're talking about press releases. The goal of that press release isn't necessarily to bring in free signups. It's more so, are we getting on the right people's radar? And that's kind of hard to track. So, you know, this doesn't really apply to that. But if you're talking about purchases, if our goal is to get purchases or to get leads, and we're putting a lot of time and money into a tactic that's not bringing that return on investment, then we either need to stop it or pivot that strategy. A a really good example of this is, you know, people that do, I had a client that did Instagram story ads. They were so dead set that this is how they were going to reach their audience. And this was going to lead to conversions. And we let it play out and we let it play out. And we looked 60 days later and a couple thousand dollars later, and there were just no results. I mean, we had one or two purchases, maybe, definitely not enough purchases to justify continuing to put time and money into that strategy. So that's when you kind of have to make the hard decision of, look, the investment here, we're not seeing a good enough return on it.
0: One other example, back in the day, we hired a contractor to help us with our Pinterest account. And it was a pretty big monthly commitment. And we were getting a lot of traffic from Pinterest. But the problem is, they weren't spending very much time on the site and they were abandoning and they weren't leading into customers. So we had to make the decision, do we want to continue to pay to drive that kind of traffic to our website or should we stop that and invest that money somewhere else? And we ultimately made the decision to shut down our Pinterest account. I mean, you can still find it. It's just not been updated in years, you know, and we just decided we're not going to do Pinterest anymore. That's not, For us Now, does it mean Pinterest is bad? Absolutely not. But for us at the time, you know, we're a B2B company and it wasn't working for us. So we made that decision and we had the data. We knew that we were not seeing any financial return on investment from that action. And ultimately we decided to stop that action. And this is what marketers have the hardest time doing is coming up with a stopping list, right? We just do it because we feel like we have to do it because everybody else does it, right?
1: Well, that and like every strategy you create and every tactic you deploy, like those kind of become like your babies, right? Like You're like, oh, we worked so hard to get this going and we put so much money into it. And maybe if we just made these little tweaks, it would work. But, you know, sometimes, yeah, you kind of have to pull the plug. Also, another thing that I want to mention here really quickly is trends. So I use Google Trends a lot and sometimes, you know, you reap the benefits of a trend and you reap the benefits very early on. And then you'll kind of see the trend You know, start to fade away. I had a client that really reaped the benefits of iOS 14 icons. So, you know how everybody was making their their phones look pretty with iOS 14. They really reaped the benefits of that whole craze, but that craze lasted maybe three or four months. And, you know, we had the option, okay, do we update that strategy or do we start leaning in on this other thing that's about to kind of pop off or potentially pop off? And when we looked at the trends, we saw, hey, there's been a massive dip, it's sustained for the last like few weeks, we can probably assume that that trend is over and it's time for us to find either a new trend to hop on or just to start working on a different strategy altogether.
0: Love that. Okay. I want to zoom in on scale because there's a lot of people who have figured some stuff out, but they're not sure what to scale. Like, what can you, do you have any examples of clients or yourself or anybody else that's, you know, cause the scaling thing I think is a huge opportunity, right?
1: Right. Absolutely. Well, I I think the people that do it best are probably Facebook ads people. Right. So Facebook ads gurus, right? They are definitely like little puppet masters. They probably have, I mean, some people that, you know, are spending a million a month or a million a day, even they've got you know, they have probably hundreds of campaigns going for a single client or hundreds of creatives or, or something of that nature, right, going for a client. And what they're doing all day, in my mind, it's kind of like day trading, I'd imagine, where they have like, you know, all these different campaigns and they see one and all of a sudden they're getting a 10X return on ad spend, right? And they go, oh, that's really working. So they stop a couple of their ad sets and they just start dumping money into the one that's showing them a 10X return on ad spend, right? It's kind of the same thing there. So you just start to multiply your efforts in the tactics that are showing you the best return on investment. So something to think of, like if you create blog posts. So for me, when I looked through my YouTube channel, I got the most results when I was talking about competitive analysis, which when I think about it logically, like, yeah, people don't really want to know what's working and what's not working for them. Because like we just said, it's every tactic and stuff. That's just, that's like their babies. And they feel like they can do that in-house. But when we start talking about their competitors, everybody wants to know what their competitor is doing. Everybody wants to know what tactics are or are not working for their competitors. Uh... And so then it made sense. And I said, okay, well, I can skip scale that. There are tons of ways to do competitive research.
0: You're scaling your content is what you're really doing there, right?
1: Absolutely. And you can do the same thing with a blog, right? Are there blog posts that do well for you? Create more of those blog posts. Do you see a ton of results when you do polls on Instagram? Do more polls on Instagram and in your stories.
0: Same thing with YouTube videos, right? If you have a certain yeah. kind of YouTube video that's performing really well and accomplishing your business objectives, then you need to create more videos either on the topic or in that style, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And like you guys do a lot of carousels when you do your blog posts. I'm sure you're not just like, oh, well, we should do carousels. But all of your carousels I've noticed have a, a pretty similar theme. And, you know, that last slide always says, go read more on the blog. Well, if you're starting to see an increase in blog visits from Instagram. And that stra- that's the strategy you've been using. Well, okay, maybe we create more carousels for the blog posts, or maybe we just have a really qualified audience on Instagram and we can pour more time in Instagram. And maybe we test doing stories as well, or maybe we test, you know, doing reels or whatever that may be.
0: Well, I'll give you two examples. On YouTube, we realized that we didn't need to publish three videos a week. We could scale it back down to two videos a week, but make the videos longer. And we get yeah. we ended up increasing our performance, right? So what we did was we, instead of doing two shorter videos on a live show, we did one longer video and invested more in creating longer in-depth videos. And that worked better for us. So that was a scaling in a unique way, which is kind of a stop and scale. Yeah. But the other thing is we realized our email was bringing in the most amount of sales. So we brought in a full-time in-house copywriter and we began optimizing and split testing the way we're doing our email marketing. That's scaling, right? Because we're actually investing more resources into getting better with our email marketing. It's just not the way we most people think of scaling, Right.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, email is definitely one of those things that I can see for all of my clients when they start and stop email. (laughs) Because, yeah, a lot of people see a huge return on investment for email. And that's because those are people that are already qualified, right? But yeah, I mean, when you think about digital marketing, there are just so many opportunities, so many different tactics you can do, strategies, all sorts of things where all digital marketing is constantly is testing. It's all testing. And that's why collecting the data to begin with is so important. And I tell people collect it before you need it, because once you need it, you need it. Right. I love that. So you start collecting the data and then one day when you're ready and you dig in, you'll be able to find the information that you actually need to find
0: this has been really awesome. If people want to discover more about you and the things you've got going on, where do you want to send them?
1: Well, I made a special page just for all of our wonderful friends here today. So if you go to beastanalyticsco.com forward slash SME, you'll find all sorts of goodies on that page just for everyone that's tuned in here.
0: Awesome. It's beastanalyticsco.com slash SME. And Brie, if people want to connect with you on the socials, do you have a favorite social channel?
1: Twitter is by far my favorite. So come hang out on Twitter. But basically all my handles are Brie E. Anderson or Brie underscore E underscore Anderson.
0: Awesome. Brie, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. I know we're way better because of it.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 479. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow this show. If you've been a long time listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I am at Stelsner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelsner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world.